check out my new book, Coping Courageously, a heart-centered guide for navigating a loved one's illness without losing yourself. It's appropriate for you as a clinician, for your patients, and for anyone you know who has a seriously ill loved one or an aging parent. Check it out and tell a friend. Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast, where we talk about integrative symptom management and physician well-being, because every physician deserves to have satisfying work, and every patient deserves an effective and joyful physician. Let's get started. Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast. I'm Dr. Delia Caramonti, and this week we're going to talk about hair loss that comes from chemotherapy and how you can counsel your patients about the process and ways that they can help themselves to cope and things that they might do to help the process go a little more smoothly. So just a quick reminder, not all chemotherapy causes hair loss, but some chemotherapy commonly causes hair loss. And of course, this happens because chemotherapy drugs are designed to target and kill cells that are rapidly dividing, and that includes cancer cells, but it also includes healthy cells like hair follicle cells. So things that go after the cancer can also go after the hair follicles, which is why some chemotherapy causes hair loss. So Maybe particularly for women, I guess I don't really know that if it's really particularly women, but certainly for women, losing their hair is a significantly stressful part of the chemotherapy experience. So not only is hair very firmly associated with appearance and self-esteem, but it's also a constant reminder when people look in the mirror of how much their life has changed and what's going on for them and how their regular life is not there anymore right then. So we're going to talk about what to do when people are going to lose their hair. But just for a second, I want to mention prevention possibilities. So we'll talk about this more at the end, but there are two options for theoretical prevention of hair loss, and that is a cooling cap or a cooling system. The whole idea of cooling caps and cooling systems is that they reduce the blood flow to the scalp. And so they limit the amount of chemotherapy drug that actually gets to the hair follicle. Certainly not everybody does this. They're uncomfortable. They can be expensive. They're not available to everybody. There is some theoretical concern that that it may increase the risk of metastasis to the scalp. But since that's not a common concern, most oncology centers are okay with the idea of the cooling cap or the cooling system. We'll talk more about them in a moment. But it's not a 100%. So not everybody uses them, not everybody has access, but even people who use them, it doesn't 100% prevent hair loss for everybody. Let's not talk about that for the moment, although we'll get back to it. Let's talk about the people who, in fact, are going to lose their hair. So generally, when you get the chemo teaching, they'll tell you whether the chemo that you're about to receive is one that is likely to make you lose your hair or not. And so if it is, what do you do? Some people wonder about shaving their head. Should they shave their head right away? Should they prevent the whole issue and just shave it before anything happens? Should they cut it short? Should they color their hair in fun colors? Should they get a weird haircut like a mohawk they, that they might never get? These are all things that people sometimes will consider. And they can be psychologically quite helpful, actually, because it reasserts a sense of control over a situation that is really out of control and feels very out of control and terrible. So what many people will recommend is wait and see. So don't do it before starting chemo. Wait and see. When the hair starts to fall out, which if you're getting a chemo that 
is known for causing hair loss is probably going to happen. That's when people will sometimes cut their hair really short because it's not as psychologically painful to watch short hair come out than to have long hair come out in clumps. And that would be the time to have maybe a fun, new, weird haircut or fun, new, weird color of hair like green or blue or pink. If the person feels comfortable with the chemicals of of hair color, which not everybody does. And then when the hair really starts to fall out, that's often when people will shave their head. And so even the whole experience of shaving is something that ideally the patient would take control over. Getting somebody important and close to them to do it. Sometimes people even will have the whole family together, the children even, to help. Kind of making this ritual of the cancer experience not be something shameful and hidden, but something that that gets shared in all of its emotion the funny parts and the sad and devastating parts all together as a family. Sometimes people even will have a party, like a head shaving party, just to take some control over the experience and and share it almost in a intentional, festive, although painful way with people that are important to them. So all of these are things that can be helpful in, in helping people cope with a really challenging situation. The other thing that patients have to figure out is what are they going to do after they don't have hair? Are they going to embrace their baldness, which some people do, and simply not wear a scarf, not wear a wig, which is perfectly fine? Some people have no interest in that, and they definitely want to wear a wig or a headscarf. And in fact, if a patient really wants to match their hair, the best, their natural hair, the best that they can, it, it is sometimes a good idea to go for a wig appointment before they lose their hair so that they can match the color and they can match the style. So that's something that they might consider doing before they lose their hair. So some people choose to use a wig. Wigs, especially high quality wigs, can be pretty expensive. There are some cancer support organizations that can help provide funding or discounted wigs. So for a person who wants a wig but they can't afford it, you might have them look at some local cancer support organizations. Certainly people can use caps or beanies or scarves. There also are hats that have hair around the side. So if a person is fine being bald at home, but they when they go out, they just don't want the attention of looking different, they can put on a hat that has hair peeking out from around the side. So it's not really a wig per se, but it does stop them from having to kind of own the baldness when they're out and about. Some people like to adorn their bald head. This is something they should check with their oncologist about just in case they have a concern about it. But sometimes people will get temporary tattoos. Occasionally people will get even permanent tattoos or henna tattoos. Again, they should check with their oncologist to be sure the oncologist is okay with this. But if they are, this decoration of your head is another kind of power way to take control of this experience of being without hair. And do remind your patients to put sunscreen on their bald head because they may not have thought of that. And they still can shampoo their head with the same shampoo that they normally use. Okay, now let's talk about the cold cap and scalp cooling systems. A cold cap is a tight fitting helmet kind of hat that's filled with a cold gel or a liquid, and you wear it during chemotherapy infusions. The idea is this cap is kept cold with ice or other cooling devices, and it works, as I said, by narrowing the blood vessels that are underneath the skin of the scalp so that less chemotherapy gets to the follicle of the hair. And theoretically, with less chemo in the follicle, the follicle gets less damaged and the hair is less likely to fall out. Often, some of the hair will still fall out. So even if it works, it's not that it stops hair loss completely. It just may stop the person from going bald. 
So not only does the cold prevent as much chemotherapy from getting there, but the cold can reduce the hair follicles metabolic activity, and that may make the cells divide more slowly. And therefore that protects them some from the chemotherapy because they're no longer as rapidly dividing as they were before. So during each chemotherapy session, the patient wears the cap for somewhere half an hour to an hour or so before the infusion, then during the whole infusion, and then for some amount of time after the infusion. So because while the patient is wearing this cold cap, the cap will start to thaw and get warmer, they'll have to have more than one with them, one that's in ice and one that is on their head. And as it gets warmer, they replace it with a colder one again. Often people will bring dry ice and keep it in there during their chemotherapy sessions. And you often have to replace it every 30 minutes or so because it warms up. So usually what happens is the person who's getting chemo rents these cold caps and then brings them to the infusion, as I said, in some sort of portable ice or cooler. And they'll need to have somebody with them who can take the cap off and put the new ones on for them. That's not something that they generally can do by themselves. So these cold caps are a bit of a pain, but they're less expensive. The scalp cooling systems, which are also called automated cooling systems, they use a cap that's attached to some refrigeration machine. So it keeps itself cold. So you don't, it doesn't thaw and then have you replace it. It just keeps itself cold for the whole time. Not every center, every cancer center has this cooling system. Some do, some don't. There is a a support organization called the Rapunzel Project the Rapunzel Project, that has a list of centers that have scalp cooling systems. And I'll put the link to that in the show notes. So if you have a patient or family member who's interested in a scalp cooling system, you might want to check that list and have them check with their oncologist if they have uh, the, the cold system available there. Often insurance doesn't cover it. And those can be kind of expensive in the several thousand dollars range, whereas the cold caps are generally more in the several hundred range. So both of these methods work. Just one is a little easier, the automated one, but more expensive. The other is a little more of a pain, but is a little less expensive and is more available to the patient. Because if a center doesn't have a scalp cooling system, then that won't be available to the patient, but they can still rent cold caps and bring it with them if they if they want that, even if they're at a center that doesn't have a system. The side effects of these systems, other than what I talked about before, the, the theoretical concern about scalp mets, which I think most centers are not concerned about nowadays, but the realistic side effects are things associated with being cold. So people will get headaches often, their neck and shoulders may feel tight, their forehead may hurt, they may feel nauseous or dizzy, and it feels cold. So people generally say it is, it's an unpleasant experience to sit there with this ice cold thing on your head for a prolonged period of time. And then people can tend to feel cold in general while they have the scalp cooling system or the cold caps on. So they should make sure and bring blankets with them or dress more warmly than they would otherwise do if they didn't have the cold cap on. Generally, people say that in the beginning is the worst, like the first 10 to 15 minutes is kind of maybe unbearable is a little overkill, but very unpleasant. And then they tend to adjust. Although I have also had patients who said they just hated it the whole time. So some people try the cooling system and stick through the whole time. Some people try the cooling system and decide it's not worth it to me. I'll just accept being bald. My hair will grow back. So there's really no one right way. It's what's best for the patient. But I think helping patients make a plan, talking this out with your patients and helping them make a plan for what they're going to do about their hair can be helpful because it is such 
a lack of control and distressing experience that any little bit of control that they can take back can be psychologically helpful. And then prepare them that when their hair grows back, it might be different. Sometimes it was straight before and it grows back curly. Sometimes it was a color before and then it grows back gray. You just don't know till it comes back. So preparing people for that is very important. Okay, so big picture, I think this is all about counseling the patient, giving them control. Here are your options. Here are what some people do. What do you think will work for you? Let's make a plan. If you know someone who's about to go through chemo that is known for hair loss, send them this episode. Maybe it will be of help. All right. Thank you guys so much for being here. I really appreciate that you listen and I'll see you next week. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by the Integrative Palliative Institute. We help clinicians to help their seriously ill patients to thrive while creating a joyful life for themselves. Join our Facebook group, which is the Integrative Palliative Medicine Interest Group. And if you want to learn more about adding integrative symptom management to your practice, go to integrativepalliative.com where you'll find some great resources.